You make beautiful things out of dust. And you're making me new every single day. And so this morning, as we gathered here, as you got up this morning and you came to church, uh, my prayer for you and my hope and my goal is that this morning, that our love for God increases, our love for each other increases, and our desire to share that love with the world increases. And uh, I think it is beautiful when we can do that. Uh, we are starting a series called Generous Life. I don't know how generous you feel. Uh, sometimes I feel generous, and sometimes I don't feel generous at all. And so uh, this is a time of reflection and looking to God's word and saying, how can I live into this, what I desire for myself, to be a generous person? Uh, I believe I was created to be generous. I believe we were created to be generous um, and connected to that, to the work and ministry of the local church. And so this morning, as we look into this idea of generous life um, and giving of your time, this is kind of a behind-the-scenes look, like the Wizard of Oz when you look behind the curtain and you see how does this all work. Um, this is a bit of a behind-the-scenes curtain Sunday, so if you're a guest this morning, we're glad you're here. You get to see behind the curtain. Um, if you are on the, you know, I don't know if I believe this, I don't know if this is real, I don't know uh, where I am uh, as far as what I believe spiritually, well then this is a good place for you because you're going to see what our church is about and what I believe Christ is wanting us to be focused on. And so we are going to be looking at the role of a deacon and what a deacon is and why churches even have deacons. And so we're going to dive into that, the what, the why, and the how. And uh, as I was thinking about this whole topic of generous, uh, being generous with my time and, and how our deacons serve us and they're so generous with their time, um, I, was, I was able yesterday to go with my son to tryouts for Tuckahoe Little League. And uh, as I'm there, I am watching, you know, observing, trying to take it all in. This is amazing. I know this is a very short period of my life. And it's really neat to be a part of it. And I'm excited for him. I'm really nervous for him because I'm like, do really good, you know? Or if you do really bad, it's okay. Just do your best, right? And so it's this, this nervous. I think the parents are probably more nervous than the kid typically. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm watching the other kids kind of saying, you know, how is he going to uh, line up with this whole thing? And you can tell. You can tell some kids have been playing their whole life and they're on some travel team and they have everything like decked out and they're ready to go. And they know exactly how it all works and it's just easy for them, right? And then you can tell the other kids that, you know, they just want to have fun, they're coming checking it out, and they just want to enjoy baseball, right? And then you have like two rows of coaches sitting there with pads, kind of, you know, the meat market here, trying to figure out who they want to draft in their little draft. And I, and I was reflecting on it, and I'm looking at it, and thinking, thinking, you know, where's the connection? I'm a pastor. I've got to find some connection point here spiritually. And, and I do think that there's a strong connection point there. Uh, if you didn't grow up in the church, or you don't have any church background, me even saying the word deacon is a foreign thing. Maybe, you, you know, what is a deacon? Right? We don't really talk about deacons in our culture. And I, and I think about the young kids that don't even show up to play baseball because it's intimidating. And it's intimidating because uh, maybe they don't know all the rules. Maybe they don't feel confident in it. Uh, maybe um, they feel pressure in it. And this morning, I want to kind of deal with that part of church for us. That there is a purpose. There's a goal. And what we're doing, there's, there's reasons why. And when we talk about things like deacons and, and the structure of our church, there's a purpose behind all of that. And I think it's valuable for all of us as we, today we're going to, in the 1045, our, our cornerstone service, we're going to be ordaining new deacons. 
deacons that are coming on and serving us as deacons here at the church. I think it's important for us to have a collective uh, understanding of what that means and why we have that and what the purpose is. And so um, if you're here uh, for a message that's going to inspire you, I hope this does inspire you. But it inspires you from the point of what, what are we called to do as a church and, and what I believe God has given us is this amazing opportunity to serve him. So before we dive into the scripture, let's precede it with prayer. Father, we thank you for this day because we know you've created it. Uh, we know that you are, are above all things. And Lord, we come to you submitting to your authority and asking you uh, to supply our spiritual needs right now. That we would be filled with knowledge and wisdom and love. That our love for you would grow. Um, our love for each other would grow. And our love for a world that that desperately needs hope and purpose and value, that that would grow as well. Lord, I thank you that you've supplied us already with great people who are serving so diligently and, Lord, are just so committed to this church and to to your church, the global church, Lord, that's reaching people with your good news. Lord, I pray as we read these scriptures that you would direct our mind, that you would show us truth, that you would help us to grow and challenge us, Lord. Challenge every single one of us in this room as we think about uh, how generous we are with our time and serving you and and what it means to to really be on call for you and to be a deacon and to be a servant. And Lord, I pray that you would inspire us and challenge us and help us to know so that we can be. Lord, we thank you so much and, and we praise your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6. Acts was written by Luke. Luke was a physician, and he was actually probably Paul's physician, and he was well-educated. He was commissioned and funded to accumulate eyewitness accounts of what happened. And so i got to give like a really big backstory to get where we're going today, and so I'm going to try to do it as quickly and as interestingly as I know how. Um, basically, the Bible teaches that God created the universe, and in that very beginning, there was a separation, a great divorce, a, a, a man and God, people, humankind and God were separated, correct? And that was brought by sin. And in that moment, there needed to be reconciliation. And there's always been a need since then for reconciliation. And so God has had this plan. Now the problem is, is that we cannot bring reconciliation on our own. We need God to provide the reconciliation for us. And so he did that in the form of coming to earth as a man named Jesus Christ. And Jesus lives this perfect life, he dies on a cross, and he establishes the reconciliation. He establishes the opportunity for me, for you, to be in relationship with God. And so now there's this message that we can share with the world that he established when he rose from the grave that the whole world can now know that they can love God and they can be in close relationship with God. They can be right with God through Christ. And this is a message now that needs to be shared with the whole world. And so for that to happen, there needs to be a love for God. There needs to be a love for each other. And there needs to be a love for a world that needs to hear this amazing message of reconciliation to God. And so as Jesus comes back from the dead, his resurrection, he meets with Peter. He meets with his disciples. He says, I'm going to establish an organization that's on mission to share this good news with the whole world. And I'm going to use you to do it. And so he establishes, and we call them the disciples, they're learning and growing and teaching in the name of Christ to share this good news. That every single person that ever lives can be invited in to this reconciliation, to this tight-knit relationship, to this purposeful, valuable relationship with their creator that Christ has established. 
And so this is this is started, and it's called in the Hebrew or the in the Greek actually it's called the ecclesia, the mission. This is the mission. The mission is that everyone can love God now. You don't have to be his enemy, or he doesn't have to be distant, or he he, he, can, he doesn't have to be just this abstract idea. He can be a personal, relational God in your life. That you can love people, you can genuinely care about people. You can genuinely have deep, meaningful relationships, and you can be sacrificial in those relationships, and you can grow in those relationships, and you can have people that hold you accountable, and you can grow together in life with this love for each other. And then you can naturally, he will build into you a heart for the world. And so this is what they were teaching. Um, it's so important as we come here. Luke is, is writing this. It hasn't been written, so there is no documents. There's no Bible to refer to outside of the Old Testament. And so the early church needed guys to be sharing these words that had been given to them. They needed people, men and women, to be sharing this, this truth so that people would know that they could have this relationship to God. That they could have this relationship with other people. And that the world really doesn't matter. Every person in it matters to God. And so this is where we catch up. That this mission has begun. They're, they're starting to do this. And, and, and this arises arise a problem. And here's the problem. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, people are joining this ministry, joining this mission, this ecclesia, while we call it church, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. The Hellenistic Jews were the Jews that spoke Greek. The native Hebrews spoke Aramaic. So there's this division, because they speak two different languages. There was maybe bias here. There was maybe um, favoritism one way or the other. And so this brought about a problem. And the Jews and the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of the food. And so here's the problem. Here's the issue. Here's this movement of people that are saying, everyone can have a right relationship with God. And you can be welcomed into this community. And this community is for everyone. But unfortunately, within our own community, there's already division. There's already friction. There's already a disconnect. There's already bias. There's already problems. And so they're arising and they're saying, look, this can't be right. If we're going to love each other because we have this great mission and we want to share it with the world, uh, we got to love each other, but we're not loving each other because guess what? This group of widows, and the whole Old Testament talks about, you know, God does not overlook when you neglect the widow and the orphan, the most uh, vulnerable people. He does not overlook that. That's, and he's, he values them and he wants them to be treated with respect, dignity. And so he says... They say, this is not right. And they complain about it. And so there's a problem. Now, problems arise in our life. Problems arise in your life. How you deal with those problems are important. And so how did the early church deal with these problems? They could. They could ignore it and say, okay, we don't really care. You know, they can figure it out for themselves. They can deal with this on their own. They could overwhelm these widows and these people making this claim for them and say, look, uh, we are too busy with other things. We can't bother ourselves with this problem. Or they can deal with it. And so as we look here, here's how they deal with it. So, in verse 2, so the twelve summoned the congregation of disciples and said, so they bring every leader that they have into a meeting 
And, it, and then they say this, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Interesting, right? But this is, this is the what? The issue. What is the issue? We have people that need to be teaching this word because without this word, they're not going to know. And so it's so valuable that this message be shared. And so these guys are saying, look, if we get uh, off track, if we're not single-minded and single-focused in this, we'll, we'll lose the message. And then we'll lose the whole point that we have a relationship to God, we have a relationship to each other, and we have a love for the world. And so we have got to keep praying because that's our source of power. We've got to keep studying because that's where we can share from. And so we can't lose track of that, but we still think this is important. They are defining the what. And so here's what they come up with. Therefore, brothers, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation. Full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we, who we may put in charge of this task. They don't ignore it. They don't bully it down. They deal with it. And here's how they deal with the question of what are we to do. They've observed the problem. They've reflected on the problem. They've talked about the problem. And now they have a plan. We're going to select seven people. Seven men that are of good standard, of high moral character. Now it's important to understand, this is so important, that in this time, in this culture, in this place, everything within their culture would have been established. If they were to have done something within um, their community where they said, we need to get something accomplished, we have a task that needs to get done, they would have selected seven men. They didn't use that as a biblical number. That was part of their culture. That was part of their time. That number had already been established is when you start a committee, you start it with seven. And in that culture at that time, it was seven men. And so they were taking the wisdom of their culture, they were applying it to this need. And they said, look, we have a problem, we have an issue, we've got to deal with this issue, we can't overlook this issue. All right, here's our plan. Let's find seven guys that have high character, high morality, who can take on this task. Why do they do that? Because the next verse, in verse 4, it says, We need to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. It all comes back to this point that they're trying to share with every person that they can know God. They can love God, they can love each other, and they can love the world. That was the focus, that was the mission. That's what Jesus started with Peter. That was what was moving, that's what people were attracted to. But it wasn't just a, a, a knowledge issue, it wasn't just a heart issue, it was also a physical issue, because the widows were, were being neglected. And they said, we have an issue, we can't overlook this. We need to establish a group of leaders that will take on the responsibility of caring for these people's physical needs. And so they establish seven people, seven men of great character. And so they regather the congregation. The statement was found, found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, 
They picked the guys with the strange names, right? But here's the truth. Here's the reality of it. They were so in love and engaged with the mission of the church that they were not going to let this deter them from that. And they were also brought to, they were brought to their, their attention that it wasn't just teaching and it wasn't just praying that needed to be happening in the church. They also had to care for the physical needs of the people. And so it's interesting that you know, Luke doesn't have to put this account in here. Luke could have overlooked this completely, but he put it in here, I believe, because he wanted to emphasize the fact that this is an area we need to be aware of. That there are people in this room that may feel neglected. That there are people within our body that feel neglected. That there are people in our relations that feel neglected. And that we are not to overlook that or, or pretend like that's not there. But that we are to come together and say, how then shall we deal with this problem? How will we establish leadership in this area of our church? And so you have the what... You have the why, now you have the how. They established these individuals, and they bring them before them, and they brought them before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. And so they bring these seven up, and they, and they, they come around them, and they lay their hands on them, and they pray for them, and they say, um, may the Lord bless this job you have now. Because what you're doing is equal to what we are doing. What you are doing is equal to what we are doing. Right now, you came and I'm speaking. But the truth is, is that when God looks at this room, He doesn't just see me speaking to you. He sees you. He sees your heart, your mind, your soul, and your life. And just as He's called me, He calls all of us to serve. And what this is showing is that you don't have to be the pastor, you don't have to be the music leader, you don't have to have any of those gifts or abilities, but you belong. And you have value, equal value, and that you have a place where you can be loved, but you also have a place where you have a responsibility to find that calling that's in you and live that calling out. Basically, what they're saying is our power is through prayer and our unity. When we lay our hands on you, we become one. We become one physically. And we're unified in this physical uh, reality that we are one body. And we pray over each other, realizing that we are one. There's no hierarchy. There's no one closer to God than anyone else. This is the, the reason for deaconship, is that there are so many needs that need to be done. There's so many things within our church, within the body, that need to be reflecting this truth. That we, you and I, every person on this earth, every person that exists, can love God. You and me can love God every day of our lives through Jesus. That we can love each other genuinely and authentically. That you and I can have a deep relationship. That I can genuinely care about your needs. I can genuinely care about you as a person. And that I can genuinely care about the world. I can genuinely care about the needs and the challenges and the hardships of this world. And I have a calling to share that message and to be a part of that. Whether that's Taking care of the widows and the orphans. Whether that's cleaning a room, driving a bus, 
whatever it is, it all connects back to this amazing picture that God is allowing us, all of us, not just me, not just a few, all of us, to participate in this act that is of all time and for all people and applies to all people as well. That you, listening to me now, can serve this God this way and that what you do matters. This is why this is revealed to us. That there are needs and that there are challenges but we're not to overlook them and we're not to pretend like everything's okay but we are to fall in line with what God is calling us to do, that calling within our heart. So the goal of our church, the goal of our church is to love God, is to love each other, and is to love the world. And for that to happen, we need people to pray. We need people to be committed to prayer within us. We need people committed to studying God's Word and teaching that. We need some of us to be committed to studying God's Word and teaching it. And then we need people that are committed to serving in every area serving wherever we're called, whatever we're, we're asked to do. And that in all of those things, in all of those things, they allow us to achieve the mission. That mission that Christ established when he rose from that cross, that he established for the whole world to know that you can be in relationship to God through Christ. You can love your brothers and sisters and you can love a world share that with And so for us, how do we apply that? How do we live that out here at Gaten? Today, in this service, we will be commissioning. Commissioning means you've been given a task and we are calling you to that task and we are supporting you in that task. We are commissioning upon you an amazing opportunity to serve in the name of Christ. We have ten new deacons coming on. Seven of which are being ordained in the next service. Those new deacons are Mary Bush, Mary Beth Essex, John Dennis, Angela House, Don Kamenzik, Chris Lucy, Clay Tompkins, Brian McCarter, Richard Martin, Gary Robertson. Those are the ten that are joining. Some of those have already been ordained and some will be ordained today. We have returning to our deacon list, Kristen Jewett, Charlene Hollins, Polly Dowdy, Becky Tyson, Jamie Call, Kendra Brummett, and Wes Strong. These are the people that have heard the call in their life that we looked at and we said, man, they have a great character. They have, uh, they have a type of, of lifestyle that we believe reflects this good news. Man, this week out of all weeks, we've seen what, what a bad reputation can do. People of good reputation have been chosen from our body. We've elected them. We've, we've said, yes, we, we endorse you to be a deacon here at Gaten. What are the qualifications at Gaten? We ask that a deacon be a follower of Christ, that they've made a personal decision to, to make uh, their life centered on Christ. They're a believer. They're a member of the church. They support the church purpose, vision, and values. And they're a regular participant in our weekly worship. 
what are the areas of ministry? This is a question I get a lot. What do the deacons do in our church? We've talked about what the deacons were established when they took care of these widows that were being overlooked. What are they doing with gate? How are they connecting into the mission and vision of our church? Well, we have five areas here at Gate that our deacons are a part of ministering and serving to us. Number one, prayer ministry. A couple of weeks ago, Cantor came up and shared with us that we have prayer emphasis even during this service. Um, last week, we talked about praying for the, the orphans and the, the places that the food will be sent to. Every instance within the scripture, before they did anything, they preceded with prayer, and prayer was the power that energized it. This is a major capacity of what we do. It's, it's a high priority at Gaten. We have compassion ministry where we have visitation to hospitals, to bereavement, to incarceration, to people that need encouragement, people that they're going through something extraordinarily challenging. And you may never know that this happens, but we have a group of people that will go to a hospital or will go to someone's house or go to someone that is going through something and we'll be there with them and pray with them and encourage them. And that has been going on. And this is one of those things where maybe we don't see it, but it's happening. And it's meaningful, and it's powerful, and it's what we've been called to do as a church. We have a hospitality. Part of our deaconship is welcoming and greeting and getting people involved and engaged. If you're a guest, we want to be prepared for you. We want to encourage you. We want to get you plugged in to the different areas that we have available to you. And so part of being a deacon is part of that, is the responsibility of getting people connected to our church through hospitality. We have ministry support. Um... We have a membership meeting where people come and learn about the church and the deacons are there to help. We have events like last week where we had to clean up at 3 o'clock and everyone wants to go see the Super Bowl. There's people here giving of their time, energy, and effort so that that can get cleaned up. And that's just as much a ministry as anything else we do. And our deacons are committed to that. And they have responsibility to lead and guide us in that. And then ordinances. In a few minutes, we're going to come to the... The ordinance, ordination, ordinance, it just means a calling to, something that we've been given responsibility in. We've been given actual orders to come and remember the Lord's table, communion. And so this morning, as we look at all these different things, my question to you, this amazing mission that started 2,000 years ago, that has impacted the world like nothing else, Billions of people all over the planet today are celebrating the fact that you can love God, we can love each other, we can love the world. How are you involved in that? Are you generous with your time? As a deacon is generous with their times, as they give out of their own so that we may have. If you're not currently connected, this is a body. And we want to invite you into that body. Because everyone has value. Everyone has purpose. There are no hierarchies in this body. There's only one above all of us, and that's Christ. And so I would invite you as we come to the communion table. What is the Lord saying to your heart? How are you connected into the body? How are you serving? Is the, is the Lord calling you to something right now? Is he placing something on your heart? As we go to the communion table, I'd ask for the deacons to come to the front. This prayer that, we, that leads us to this moment is, is a very valuable prayer because we're told never to do 
this lightly. And so I would encourage you as we come to the table that you would be open to God and whatever he's leading you to. That you would sense his work in your life and that you would reflect on what he has done on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for grace, love. And Lord, this morning as we come to your table, we are reflecting on the fact that you started something that's really hard to talk about because it's so big. It's bigger than any one of us. It's the hope of all humankind. It is the purpose of our existence. It is our eternity. It is where we will head once this life is over and you have established a road to the Father. You've given us grace. You have reconciled us with God. And so, Lord, as we come to this table and reflect on what that really means and the scope of that, help us, Lord. Help it to not be just something we do, but it is something we are. Lord, I am so grateful for this church and for the leadership that you raise up within it. This is all done for your glory and for your celebration and for your worship. And, and we're coming to this table to worship and celebrate and say thank you. And also to re-invite you deeper within our hearts and our lives. And so, Lord, we ask you now as we come to this point that we would be honest in our hearts, in our minds, with you. Lord, thank you. Thank you forever. Probably the entire history of the disciples up to this point, every year as kids, as teenagers in their early 20s, they would have celebrated Passover. And Passover would have been that one time, that one year ritual that, hey, it's Passover again. And yes, every year it probably lost a little bit of its luster, a little bit of its excitement and its purpose. But for Jesus, he knew that this was the Passover that changed everything. It changed our uh, relationship to God. It changed our relationship to each other. It changed our relationship to the world. That this was a definitive moment in all of history. And so when he took that bread, that bread that was um, leavened because there was no yeast in it, representing his perfection, his sinlessness, when he took that bread, he knew what it meant they did not. And he said, this is my body. Sin was perfect. Why? Because I love you and want to reconcile you back to God. This is my body. This is the mission I'm beginning. This is the sacrifice I will go through so that every person can be in right relationship with God. And so that's why he called us to remember this and never forget that this is my body. And I'm allowing it to be broken. Perfect life broken for us. So we reflect on that now and we realize how much he truly loved us. If you're here this morning and you know in your life that he is the king of your life, you've received the gift of salvation, I would encourage you to partake, but also partake in repentance. If there's un there are things in your life that you just you need to say, God, I've really drifted, I would encourage you, this is a good time 
have that talk with him. If you've never in your entire life asked the Lord to be your Savior, you don't have that personal relationship, I'm glad you're here this morning. But I would encourage you not to do this. Because this is serious. There's a lot of things we do in life that I think are, you know, we're just going to be like, why did I do that? This is meaningful. This is real. And so I would encourage you, if it's real to you at this moment, partake. If it's not, it's okay. It's okay. You're loved here, and we're glad you're here. So as we go, let's ask the Lord to bless the bread. Father, as we come to your table, we ask you to bless this bread. Pray that in Jesus' name.